0: On the Dallas Opera Network, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh,
1: let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, this week, in Chalk Talk, the OBS team asks just if, when, and how exactly opera will bounce back post-pandemic. What needs to happen now in order to build back opera better? Plus, two-minute drill. Hey, the Met actually made an agreement with a union. Snaps. <laughs> Met Cummings. With
0: a, a union being the operative word with, with a union. More with on that union. later. you got to really hit that article. <laughs>
1: Uh, Matt Cummings very worried on his Olympics watch.
0: There are some dark clouds gathering, George. I hate to say it. Uh, There were some demonstrations today in Japan over going forward or rather not going forward with the 2020 Olympics in 2021. Conditions there are worsening. A recent survey showed that 80% of respondents think that they should not have Mm -hmm. the Olympics this year. Uh, th- those protests were supposed to be in conjunction with the IOC President Thomas Bach's visit, but that visit was canceled. Also, not a great sign.
1: Also, no relation to JS Bach. Weston Williams, <laughs> what are you worried about?
2: Uh, I'm 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 worried about uh, uh, nothing. I'm having a good time. I just got a record player. I've been listening to uh, Boris Gudnov recorded in Stalinist Russia. Just a delightful
0: time for the whole family. It's a good time. (laughs) Who doesn't associate Stalinist Russia with a good time?
1: (laughs) (laughs) A rip-roaring good time. Oliver Camacho, are you worried about anything?
3: Well, I'm looking forward to Roland Garros, which will start on time (laughs) next weekend, um, May 23rd, I want to say. And so lots of guys in short shorts and white socks, and they get dirty because of that red clay. (laughs) <laughs> you are
1: most definitely not worried. Ashley, you're presumably worried about the uh, Chicago White Sox.
4: Oh, honey, I'm not worried. They're the best team in baseball right now. <laughs> they are. They are at the top of the league. They're at the top of their respective division. Speaking of Chicago baseball, where are the Cubs right now in their uh, they're division? They're at Clark
1: Clark and Addison, where they've they're, always been.
4: Uh, uh, they're also at the at the bottom of the statistics, if my memory serves me correctly from checking earlier today, to make sure I made this point on the air, with you, today.
1: <laughs> the, the Tigers bel- and the Cubs met in interleague play this weekend. A rare NL-AL matchup. Between, <sighs> very, it's torn torn loyalties in my household over the, the Detroit Tigres and the uh, Chicago Cubs. Uh, That's Cubs what we call
0: a sidestep of being hoisted by your own petard. Cubs, Cubs St. will St. prevail.
1: Uh, Hardgrave, Cubs will prevail, all right?
4: We'll see about that. Uh, uh, t-
1: l- let's, let's just talk some opera.
0: Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score.
1: An article in the London Guardian last week argued that the post-pandemic recovery of the arts, including the performing arts and, of course, opera, would likely be slower than anticipated, with many organizations never reviving at all. Quote, "Recovery is by no means assured," wrote Charlotte Higgins. That article on our website, Operaboxscore.com. Let's take a closer look at what a post-pandemic future might be, but we're going to start in the past, look at the present and then end with the future. Weston Williams set it up for us. What are we looking at historically in terms of pandemic recovery for the arts?
2: Well, this is kind of a a, a tricky question, obviously, because, uh, I mean, obviously, if you look back through history over the hundreds of years opera has been around, you have pandemics popping up all over the place. Um, just because, you know, we didn't know what to do with them, how to deal with them. So they just kind of became part of life, barring the occasional quarantine of a city and shutting down of, of, you know, houses uh, for much of opera's history. That was just kind of something you were expected to just bounce back from. That was part of the deal. Um, and we don't really have a sense of what a pandemic will do now. I think the closest actually we can kind of see, uh, the closest impact we can see might be sort of like the state of classical music and opera post-World War II, which is always a fascinating subject to me because, you know, you have to think about, you know, the devastation of, you know, theaters being bombed, uh, people who were in the orchestra pits, you know, um, going off to war and not coming back, um, and the general zeitgeist afterwards of, like, what have we been through? We need to reconsider everything. So before the war, you have big, lush orchestral um, scores. And then post-war, you've got, like, Pierre Boulez with, like, the very sparse uh, Spartan textures. Um, But you also have a bit of a diverging, too, after World War II, where you have a the new music becomes very sort of dour and hard to listen to. And then the traditionalists take over everywhere else. And you have big companies like, you know, like your, your Mets and stuff sort of going really leaning into the heavily conservative traditional repertoire. Now, honestly,
1: these illnesses are different too, right? Like the the Spanish flu is very different from COVID.
2: Right, right. So uh, World War II might not be the best example uh, for that reason, but looking at the, the, 1917 flu, that's almost an even harder comparison to make Um, because the Spanish flu worked a lot faster than COVID does. Um, They would have these really, really intense waves. Everything would close down and then the arts would reopen back up. Here's a wild statistic I found when I was doing sort of researching for this Uh, in the U.S. over the course of the three year pandemic or so. Arts companies lost about $5 million, which is about $85.5 million today. The Metropolitan Opera alone lost $25 million in revenue as of August 2020. Um, so it's a different scale. Um It's even though the flu is a little bit deadlier than COVID, the fact that it was so fast meant that recovery was a little bit better. So even though we're starting to get vaccines, um, rates are going down, at least in the United States. Um, I think people are also going to be a little bit more conservative with how they want, if they even want to come back. And then, of course, coming back with like partial seating is just not really an option for a lot of these companies.
1: Well, let's let's look at the present then. So, Ashley, how broken, in your opinion, was the opera business in the recent past and in the present?
4: Uh, Pretty damn broken. Uh, that was one of the things that kept coming back to me was that we've spent the better part of the last year, sort of shining a light on these, you know, worst kept secrets about all of the problems that were happening in opera. So what this pandemic did was it, you know, took the business, snapped the already broken parts over its knee and started shining flashlights into all of the fissures. You know, whether it's who's doing the work, who's training, who's getting the jobs, the system is, it's fackacked, you know? And in some ways, I, I don't want to go back to normal because that system was it did not serve the majority of the people that deserve the access to this art form and mm. who deserve to be celebrated in this art form. So it's, uh, and, and I think that might be kind of a gloom and doom way to think about it, but that was honestly, that was my first reaction was business was already broken. Thank goodness we've had this time to really examine it because if we're going to build back, we got to build back differently.
0: It It's interesting that you say that actually, because like looking back, a hundred years, there aren't really any big, like, cultural touchstones from the Spanish flu in the way that you might expect, given, like, how traumatic of an event it was. And we need to not let that happen again here, because we learned a lot about what kind of inequalities have been bubbling under the surface, sometimes rising to the, you know, sometimes rising to attention, but not frequently enough. And if we just paper them over again, it's only going to get worse and worse. That kind of rot can really destroy a foundation
4: yeah i think that there are going to be some things that will stick with us in this return to again i don't like the phrase return to normal i don't even like the phrase the new normal it's whatever (laughs) you know whatever our current circumstances are but you know one of the mentions in the guardian article was you know hybridity is here to stay i think that's a good thing i think that uh opera has been you know breaking its back trying to figure out ways to expand itself into new audiences well guess what we have an internet and we have magic screens that are on the eyeballs of basically everybody on this planet there's your audience
1: to talking about the present moment a little bit more oliver who are some of those people that are missing out the most right now well likely i just
3: want to touch up on hybridity for a moment i mean we spoke to barbara hannigan uh a few weeks ago and she said that streaming is here to stay and she talks about a model of concert series where you know that at least one performance is going to be streamed, and how do those things work with the audience uh, in the building, because it is our nature as performers to want to play to the people that are in front of us and not to play to the camera. So maybe it's the idea of doing a concert series of three performances, but one is just the camera and the other two are for people. Um, I think streaming does give us an opportunity to spread our art further than it can when it's just ticketed performances and audiences and butts and seats. But do we really like these performances? Have we seen yet their full potential? I know a lot of no. uh, companies are trying to, you know, bring on creators uh, who are good at this medium, um, like James Dara, just to say his name at least <laughs> once a week, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> um, Our contractual <laughs> obligation, <laughs> um, but you know, there's a lot of this chamber stuff happening where it's just like sm- very small forces, piano accompaniment, string, accompan- uh, string quartet accompaniment, two singers. And do we like this? Can we? Will we pay money to see and listen to those works when we think of opera as this spectacle, as something that's grand with? chorus and orchestra and changing sets and you know Deus Ex Machina and you know. I would also ES- s-
1: ESPN hit it right some years ago and ESPN managed to create a, a, a channel where you the viewer could pick which camera angle you wanted to watch the game on. And so <laughs> and I- you you could go from the sidelines to the end zone to the 50 yard line to whatever it you wanted until we get to that point in opera. You knew I was going to say this, right? A sports talk radio show that, of course, talks about opera. That's who we are, right? Until we get to that point in the opera house when I can pick which of the six angles I want to watch my <laughs> opera production from, and I'm deadly serious about this. We have the technology. How are we going to put that into play?
0: And and really, until live performance comes back in any sort of way, I don't think we can fully explore like what kind of different opportunities those media offer to us. It's like a cheeseburger and a veggie burger, the, the veggie burger can be really great. It can be a wonderfully satisfying meal. If it's trying to pretend to be a cheeseburger, though, it might not be Saturday as good night. as it could be itself, yeah. like on its own terms. Yeah, Wes, what were you about to say?
2: Well, I, along those lines, I was going to say that, you know, uh, one of the things I've been saying since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the, the, the few silver linings, I think, at the beginning was uh, the notion that um, we have... This new medium, essentially, uh, this subgenre we can create, because mm-hmm. when when you look at like, you know, how music history has evolved with the introduction of technology, like recording cylinders and and, uh, you know, re- records and, you know, streamed live television, you know, um, y- you really see differences, not just in like how you perceive older music. But when what you create with that, like uh, the introduction of the microphone, for example, changed how so many people sang um, in the sort of Western tradition for, for centuries. Um, because all of a sudden you can sing much more quietly, much more expressively, but at the same time, it comes with those limitations. Like you can't like really hit the T's very hard. So a lot of like, you know, early crooners won't use the the letter T a lot. And I think that, you know, we're in a position now with the internet where you have, where a lot of people are encountering these technical, uh, problems and trying to solve them and i think that the those solutions could lead us to a whole new interesting subgenre within the operatic world and i think it's a great excuse for opera companies to stop, like, rejecting tradition and stop being afraid of, you know, uh, microphones its a knee-jerk reaction. I will say I'm pretty anti-microphone in most cases. But, you know, things like that. Uh, I think that there's a really cool opportunity to create something actually new in addition to what already exists.
3: So to get back to the question, I just want to say that I don't have the patience to watch all of these things. And I know there's so much great content out there so much, but it feels like a chore to me. What doesn't feel like a chore to me is going to the theater because I know it's an experience. There's other people it's, you know, social. There is the vibrations you get from being in a space. It's
1: not possible though, but we can't do it.
3: I know, but I'm just saying that like, yeah, like we haven't figured out how to make the virtual experience as satisfying it. And maybe, I mean, if the pandemic continued for longer, we would have to and we would learn to love this medium. But we're in this weird place right now where, you know, things are coming back and some companies never really embraced the idea of going virtual and still try to do performances in tents and stuff like that. And so (laughs) it's just interesting to see how this next year is going to pan out and which companies are going to, um, you know, give... Audiences' new experiences, and which ones are just going to rely on old tricks, and which ones are going to incorporate some of this new technology, and do you know uh, what? It, what was the word you used, Ashley? By by bilateral by um, um Hybrid, hybridity. hybridity. <laughs> hi, hi, hybridity. Um, but another important aspect of this article. I'm sorry to cut you off, Matt, and we'll get right back to you. Was just we're losing artists left and right. Yeah, yeah, we are. Um, there are yeah, so many are. people who did not work at all last year. I mean, only the big names got to do you know whatever rare terror from their apartment, while so many other people who are just emerging as artists lost so many opportunities. Uh, and I just see so many of my freelance friends just quitting the business and starting new careers and you know, maybe thinking in the back of that, yeah, I will sing if some opportunity comes, but I've already got this job now. And do I risk leaving this job, which is giving me stability to go back to that career, which was so hard, you know? And we're all realizing how hard it was and how exhausting traveling was and being away from our families was, you know, maybe some people and the lack can't, of wait, money. <laughs> can't wait to go back to getting away from their family. Okay, go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry to cut you
0: off. <laughs> we, Matt, no, I'm I sorry.
3: Didn't... I, I didn't mean, you were about to... You're yeah, you about did, to say something, you, and then I like. Poof, okay.
0: You're about
2: to say something like five minutes ago, and then, uh, and then <laughs> well, Oliver just like totally steamrolled you. I,
0: I was gonna say that I think that as this as this field continues to develop, we will see that these kinds of things become complements more than substitutes, um. So that mm-hmm. they they can both optimize in their own kind of way, um. But the fact of the matter is, like, the field is in sh- It's kind of in a shambles, in terms of. Who is leading it, where it's being taken, and what I really want all of everyone listening and everyone on this call to be aware of is um, the ways that producers will try to lead these transformations Mm -hmm. because they will not necessarily have the best interest of the artist, the best interest of the audience, the best interest of of, uh, the art form itself in mind. We've we've seen throughout the pandemic like this humongous consolidation in terms of these technological giants like Amazon, uh, and I I'm worried that we might see something similar in the theaters. Like uh, it's a bad sign to me that the London Phantom of the Opera has cut their orchestra in half. Yep. Um, they will be asking for what they call temporary solutions to problems but it could really easily be a power grab that only furthers that kind of marginalization of the people who uh have always been the most vulnerable in the field
2: this is exactly the fight going on at the met right you know just uh um not so much the agreement itself but just like the the knowledge that the met can set these kinds of precedents if they don't fight it tooth and nail
3: I mean, I'm, I'm of two minds about it because there are these great archives that exist already uh, of recorded legacies. Right. Of, of And there are so many contracts that have to be broken or new contracts to be drawn up just to share this material. And I sometimes think, I mean, I'm not a union buster or anything like that, but I sometimes think <laughs> that there are these major orchestras, because it's usually the orchestras, it's not the singers, who um are you know who have achieved so much and i know that it takes so much to get into that level of orchestra but have gotten there and they have these contracts that put a lock on some of this stuff that's that's this material that's out there that we could enjoy you know and if we're going to go forward with hybrid models we need to start rewriting contracts to say that you know what it's we need to be able to share this it's otherwise you know,
0: and, and the opera industry is facing this right now, but this is like really not that dissimilar from what happened with the writers guild strike back in when not was that all. 2007? Like, uh, the world Seven, of digital has finally, the digital wars have finally made it to opera. Uh, and <laughs> well, we, years later, <laughs> we as singers and, and musicians and directors cannot just let the sheer supply of labor out there undercut our value as the makers of the art itself.
1: Ashley, as we were looking to the future, you said to me, we got to get used to this life. What, what life do we have to get used to?
4: Uh, a life where some brand new disease that we know nothing about could possibly forever alter our way of life. Uh, we've talked a lot about how this is or many people have classified this as like a once in a lifetime pandemic. You know, we have the the Spanish flu of 100 years ago and then this one happened just now. And so our muscle memory wants to kick in. And, you know, we notice a pattern and say, well, we won't have another one of these for another 100 years. No, that is not the case. Every piece of data that we have points to how quickly things mutate, how many different strains are already offshooting of what we've seen. We don't have enough historical data to know how long vaccines are going to be good for. That's not even to mention all the other things that are, you know, growing and swimming and breeding around out there that may turn into (laughs) some other disease. So the notion of this once in a life pandemic, it's It's not going to be the case. We're going to be dealing with, mark my words, sometime in the next decade, another disease that has the possibility and propensity to take over our way of life and amend what was going to be our new normal.
1: Team, as we wrap up this segment, I want to hear from you about the responsibilities of artists, administrators, donors, and audiences going forward. As you think about that, here's what I don't understand about the future. I don't understand why in this country big not-for-profit opera houses are looking to other big not-for-profit opera houses to see what to do why apples are looking to apples right here's where we should be looking we should be looking at where the money is we should be looking at hollywood we should be looking at broadway and yes we should be looking at professional sports to tell us when to go back how to do it because why because that's where the money is because there's no money at the big even in the big house not-for-profit opera world the budgets are a fraction of what broadway hollywood and pro sports are raking in that is where the start of follow is as we wrap it up who has a responsibility for an artist administrator audience member that they want to put out there
2: well i think that um you know working not Not necessarily in opera aside from this podcast, as I do. I know a lot of you know straight theater people and other artists and uh, uh, and I don't know a single artist who uh, hasn't had like some sort of reckoning over the past year with you know um, the the inequity of you know racial, the racial disparities within the field of theater and music uh, or you know the fact that they're like oh god i made i made more on unemployment uh than i did you know working backbreaking labor doing you know singing or or performing you know 40 hours a week and uh was this really one i wanted to do you know um and i i want i want fellow artists to sort of be on the lookout For As as things go back to normal, whatever that is, um, I'd be really interested to see how much of that sort of newfound realization about how broken things were and really sort of hang on to that and don't let it fall back to that again. Because I get that many people will be relieved to go back, but I don't want that relief to surpass the... The justice acts aspect
0: of
1: it. Matt Cummings, what is your piece of advice for the future?
0: I think that's right on for everyone in the industry, but it really does apply to audiences too. Audiences and donors have a humongous responsibility Mm -hmm. to continue pushing forward and and reforming what it is that this field can be. And even though we're talking about opera and the arts right now, the what happens here is not limited to nonprofits it's not limited to the arts this is a question of economics people you know that tourism is hugely driven by the arts uh, and people's livelihoods depend on this not just the ones who are getting up on stage or who are in the wings or who are writing the pieces that people are going to going uh to be hopefully mounting um and it can't become so expensive that only the very richest can afford it in some kind of a death spiral because that will only make this get worse and worse faster and faster.
1: Ashley Hardgrave, give me that piece of advice for the future.
4: Well, I, I actually have two. Uh, these are the two phrases that I like to live by and I think they're appropriate here. Uh, number one, so what? Why are we doing this? What What is the so what? Why are we even doing this in the first place? If the answer to this question is This is the way it's always been done. No, kill it. It's dead. We need to think about why we're doing this in the first place. Why are we making this art? Why do we love this art? Why are we working and busting our asses trying to create this art? There has to be a way to maintain performance practices and institutional memory that make this art form great. But there's also got to be a way to still have room for innovation. We've seen, you know, sort of the germinations of the seeds over the last 14 months or so, but that has to keep going. So thinking about the so what. Number two, and this is a cardinal rule for life. Weston, I'm going to do my best not to curse so that you don't have to edit this or bleep this out later. (laughs) Um, Don't be an a-hole. No matter who you are in this industry, don't be an a-hole. If you're somebody who's in a position of power, if you're somebody who's an audience member, if you're a critic, if you're someone who is shaping the next generation of musicians, don't be an a-hole. This year has been too hard. It's been too hard for everyone. We don't need to be having a competition over who can be the biggest a-hole. And frankly, all of the problems that we've been yammering on about for the last 14 months or so on this show have to deal with people who got too big for their britches and were straight up a-holes. Now is not The time. If we're going to make it alive out of this, literally and figuratively and metaphorically, with this art form we love, we need to remember that this art needs soul and that we need to have one too.
1: Oliver Camacho, what is on your mind for the future?
3: Well, I just want to dovetail on what Matt and Weston and and Ashley actually, Ashley also said and just say it my way. uh, Gatekeepers, whoever you are, whatever level you're at, stop saying that, you know, if only this person had enough passion, they would, you know, be successful in this business. No, we now realize that you can have all the passion in the world, but you need the financial ability to do it. Uh, You need the resources, you need people who are looking out for you and actively trying to bring you through, bring you up in this business. You need mentors and you need people who are, you know, leaders who are trying to make the space diverse. Uh, Otherwise, we're gonna just go to having all rich kids uh, in this business again, all rich white kids, and it will get boring and then it will really die. Um, And just to wrap this up next week, we're going to actually look at some season announcements, which are already coming out. And I'm so curious to really investigate these things and make some, you know, bets and predictions Uh, on which companies are trying to go with hybrid, which companies are just got their tail between their legs and just doing Barber Seville. It's much that I love Barber Seville, you know. <laughs> And, uh, you know, who's getting cast and uh, who's doing stuff with piano and string quartets.
1: That's going to be on the show next week. We'll play some Moneyball, make some predictions, and, of course, put our money where our collective mouths are. Talk a little sports before we get into the two-minute drill. Medina Spirit update. I thought Medina Spirit was kind of one and done.
4: Uh, He kind of is now. Um, Also... Quick correction. I pronounced it Medina last weekend. Apologies to the horse, uh, not to the trainer, but I have I pronounced shame. I know. I have a friend who lives in Medina, Ohio, and that's just where my brain goes. So apologies all, to the horse.
0: We, we all love Ohio, Ashley, <laughs> but <laughs>
4: (laughs) If I had a dollar for every time. Ohio
0: is canceled.
4: About how much I love Ohio. No, uh, no Triple Clown winner for our buddy Medina Spirit uh, because they finished. No, he, the horse is male. He finished third. Uh, Bob Baffert, who was the trainer, however, has been banned from entering Medina or any other horse at Belmont Park. So nobody's going to be able to do anything like they did before with the Belmont stakes. No word from the horse on whether he was complicit in the original (laughs) doping. I I
1: think he might say nay.
4: Bob, Bob Baffert,
1: he reminds me, Bob Baffert reminds me of Andy Warhol, like on a bad day.
4: Did you happen to see a weekend update with Saturday or weekend update on Saturday Night Live this weekend? They, uh, it was Beck Bennett did a turn as Bob Baffert and it was, it was a highlight. It was a good time. Say that five
1: times fast. Defensive back, Wontarius Bryant uh, he was hoaxed over the weekend. The Atlanta Falcons allegedly were texting with him to say, yeah, we want you to come and do like a, a workout for us so we can kind of scope you out and possibly you know, sign you to the team, whatever. Uh, and he went to Atlanta and showed up at the appointed time. And the whole thing was a joke by some guy who got Bryant's number and Im- impersonated like an Atlanta Falcons defensive coach. And the whole thing was a ruse.
4: What did I That's just wild. say about being an a-hole? Don't just, be an just, a-hole. Oh, that is an a-hole move. <laughs> go,
1: go, go back and look at – we'll put this on the website as well, Upperboxword.com. Go back and look at Brian's, like, Twitter feed. He takes the absolute, pure class, high moral ground in responding to this. Two-minute drill. It's right now.
0: This just in the two-minute drill.
1: All right, listen up, y'all. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Operaland this week.
0: The
3: Metropolitan Opera struck a deal with one of its unions last week. The American Guild of Musical Artists, representing chorus members, soloists, dancers, actors, directors, and stage managers, has not disclosed the terms of the agreement. Details will be released after the unions vote to ratify the contract
0: next week. But that's far from the end of the Mets' ongoing labor disputes. Days after the AGMA agreement was announced, members of the orchestra and IATSE gathered to protest the company's handling of other union negotiations. The Met asked for things that would set us back 20 years, American Federation of Musicians chapter president Adam Krauthammer said at the rally. The only person who who doesn't see that his job is to reopen the arts is Peter Gelb. And the winners
2: of the Metropolitan Opera Eric and Dominique LaFont competition, known until last week as the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions, are... (sighs) Tenor Duke Kim, soprano Hyoyoung Kim, soprano Ravik McMillan, mezzo soprano Emily Sierra, and mezzo soprano Emily Treagle. Congratulations to all the finalists, especially friend of the West and Emily Sierra.
4: Last week, friend of the show Barbara Hannigan was the eighth singer and sixteenth conductor to win the Leonie Sonic Music Prize. Hannigan received the award on stage in hope in Copenhagen. Pardon me, after performing Strauss's *Metamorphoses* and Poulenc's *La Voix Humaine*. Hannigan announced that she would be donating the financial part of the award to Equilibrium Young Artists and Momentum, initiatives which support young professional musicians in the first substantial phase of their careers.
3: In trade news, Christian Tielemann is no longer the music director of the Baywaite Festival. His contract was technically over on January 1st of this year, and plans to retain Tielemann or any Baywaite music director have not been announced. The news comes soon after Semper Oper Dresden announced that their contract with Telemann would
0: also not be renewed.
1: This week's yellow cards. Spain.
0: Barcelona's Gran Teatre del Liceu announced that it will be able to expand to 70% audience capacity starting May 24th. Switzerland. Zurich Opera is
2: set to move ahead with A Lucida di in June with a cast update to updated to include Irina Lungu in the title role.
4: USA. Portland Opera will return to live performance June 22nd through 27th with a 90-minute version of Frida, starring friend of the Ashley, Catalina Cuervo.
1: This
3: week's Red Cards.
1: Finland. The Savalina Opera Festival has canceled its entire 2021 season.
0: Germany. The Berlin Philharmonic has canceled the production of Tchaikovsky's *Mazeppa*. Vladislav Sulimski was slated to sing the title role but was unable to travel to Berlin due to a COVID-19 diagnosis.
2: Switzerland! Again! Grand Theatre Geneva has cancelled a La Traviata with Ekaterina Bakanova slated for June and July.
1: Exit stage right. British soprano Pauline Tinsley has died at the age of 93. In the 1960s, she was a regular on the stages of Welsh National Opera, English National Opera and the Royal Opera House. Tinsley's wide repertoire ranged from the Queen of the Night to Elektra.
3: Pianist, vocal coach, and the author of Do Sing in Russian, Gennady Mearson has died after a long and difficult journey with cancer. In addition to preparing singers for a variety of work across Philadelphia, Mirson also founded Philly's
0: Russian Opera Workshop and privatelessons.com. And on this day, May 17th, in 1779, it was the first performance of Gluck's opera Iphigénie en Tauride in Paris. Spanish baritone and teacher Manuel Manuel Garcia Jr. was born this day in Madrid in 1805. In 1823, it was the birth of contralto and composer Charlotte Helen Saint Dolby. 1884 saw the first performance by Australian soprano Nellie Melba in her hometown of Melbourne, and then in 1890, it was the first performance of Mascagni's Cavalleria Rusticana in Rome. 1906 saw the birth of Croatian soprano Zinka Milanov in Zagreb. Joined 12 years later by fellow legend Swedish soprano Birgit Nilsson in 1918. In 1924 was the birth of French baritone Gabriel Bacquier. In 1978, Philips Electronics announced their new digital sound reproduction system from a flat silver compact disc. And finally, one for Weston in 1990. It was the first performance of Eno Yuhani Rautavaara's Vincent at Finnish National Opera.
1: And that's your two minute drill.
0: That was the dearly departed soprano Pauline Tinsley in Turandot's aria in Questa Reggia. That recording was a bootleg, as you could probably tell from the recording <laughs> quality. Uh, and it came from a performance at Welsh National Opera in 1972, featuring William Johns as Calaf, and the conductor was Richard Armstrong. Uh, fun fact about this performance, Pauline Tinsley actually coached this role with Dame Eva Turner, who was one of the first Turandot's and uh, was there at the premiere in La Scala in the oh, 20s. Oh, wow, that's yeah. such a
2: cool, fun fact. Dang, Matt, that's a good, fun fact. I wonder if any of you are, by any chance, familiar with the 2006 sitcom classic, Everybody Hates Chris. Only from the ads on the
0: side of buses.
2: Yeah, me too. I, no one's ever seen <laughs> it. But I could not help but remember those ads. They came rushing back to me in a flash <laughs> because everybody hates C- Christian Taylor. What did keep
1: firing do? Him. <laughs> What what did he do?
2: Literally. Well, I, uh, like, he, he apparently like uh he got fired from uh Dresden, uh partially because he got into arguments with the uh uh with the director uh frequently, like apparently really nasty ones. I don't know exactly what the nature of those
0: arguments were. He's and also pretty, he's pretty notoriously like very conservative in terms of what yes. repertoire he wants to do mm-hmm. and in terms of like how he wants to conduct them. Not not much one for um Changing things once they've been established, so does not pass Ashley's test for being a musician in twenty twenty
2: one. I mean, it's basically the exact plot of the classic two thousand and six sitcom Everybody Hates Chris. So you can always look up that if you want to <laughs> know exactly what's going on in Dresden.
4: And also Detroit. starring Terry Crews. Also starring
1: Terry Crews. <laughs> Oliver. The the Met um, uh, auditions now have like a marginally shorter name yeah i think it's
3: <laughs> well in a way i mean how are we going to shorthand this the um the, the what are the the Lafont. are you a Lafon- are you a lafonter yeah so i guess i assume these are major donors eric and dominique yes. lafont uh, have have the now lyrics? been uh, what do you call this when you work in development endowed And no, like when
0: no, they're probably not dead. Like
4: naming rights. It's like stadium naming rights. It's naming rights, yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
3: but there's a there's a term that Devo people use for like, you know, a type of premium or like benefit of like giving so much money oh you can name the bathroom you know it's the you know george and <laughs> oliver uh upper box score commemorative toilet theme, you know, i, so oh, I yeah. do not yeah. think There's that actually,
0: they're yeah. going to be naming anything after us at the met <laughs> you don't know but, that you don't. actually um, if, if we can if we get named for anything at the met it's going to be the
2: toilet you know you know yeah. it's, it is
3: well i want to be the glory hole um so <laughs> tenor duke kim I was uh yo <laughs> yo young kim uh our two Koreans who won, I think two out of I think five were competing <laughs> who were the final uh five finalists. Uh also we talked about Soprano Raven McMillan and your friend Emily Sierra and Emily Treagle. Not so one, but two Emilies. It's a good day for Koreans and Emilys. Uh sorry, Raven.
0: Um <laughs> also but, for no, it's a good so day for Raven. her too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no, it's a good day for her too. But
3: I was actually I was messaging Duke Kim. On Facebook, he doesn't know who I am, but I was like, I know you're going to win. Be our guest in the show. And he only got back to me like today. So uh, I'm going to try to get him on so we could talk to him about what it's like to be in phase two of Koreans taking over the opera world ever since, <laughs> where, ever where since Sumi Joe was is just snubbed bringing her
4: hands in a fabulous ball gown in the corner, being like, soon, soon.
3: <laughs> yes. But you know what I was thinking? is like how amazing Sumi Joe is. I want to see the Sumi Joe BTS collaboration.
0: Wouldn't oh, awesome? she'll do it. Yes. You know she'll <laughs> she do would.
4: it. I mostly just want her to cover dynamite, but that works too.
2: <laughs> Both are good. See,
4: okay, let's, we got to get back to this renaming thing for a second here. Okay, oh, yeah. So, I first of all. The name LaFont, like it's it's a mouthful, but you know, you can get there. So the LaFont's like, I've been doing a little bit of homework on these guys because I'm like, who are they? Because if you get a chance to name the young artist competition, like that's a, that's a, uh, that's substantial. So, okay. What I have learned about Eric LaFont is that he cannot finish filling out a LinkedIn profile because there's about three on here <laughs> and they're all semi-retired and one of them is in French. So I don't really know what's, is this person oh, French? He's LaFont. Does he it, live it actually,
0: it actually looks like he did pass away. But oh. she is still alive. Mm, mm.
4: Redacted, redacted. Will redacted. not kill of people that I will not complain about an empty LinkedIn profile? <laughs> Can we cut all this mess? <laughs> to totally oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I just yelled at a deceased person for a technicality. I'm a monster.
2: In <laughs> fairness, it's a long name change for something that, you know, was okay, had been that way since the 50s, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: It's, you know, and it's funny. I was looking for because there's like a Lafont family foundation, and you know their their assets are out there. You can take a look. And from a from a number standpoint, it, it the I think the most recent documents you can get are from like 2018 on a lot of the fundraising websites. It it doesn't seem as if it's substantial enough to fund this sort of a program. So they must have done very well for themselves in the last few years to be and, able to grab a hold of it. And,
2: and not just rename it, but rename it like they announced the renaming like as like the winners were announced. Yeah, like, exactly. You've oh. already typed up your resume with the, the Met Council auditions and you gotta change it and like the formatting is off, you have to redo the margins, it's a whole thing.
4: And if it's in Google Docs, then you gotta hope to goodness uh, that we no one has a computer that'll turn it into a PDF thing. <laughs>
2: Apparently, Dominique
3: Lafont spent many hours volunteering with the auditions over the last twenty years. Oh, oh that's, that's nice! So
1: sweet, yeah. I love that. Probably best not to approach them for an interview at this particular
4: <laughs> <No>. juncture.
1: <laughs> Ashley, is not is, is, is there anything rude you'd like to say about Barbara Hannigan?
4: Barbara? <laughs> no, because I love Miss Hannigan. She's amazing. We absolutely okay. Help me get this right. She okay? So she got this award on stage in Copenhagen. After both performing both the Strauss piece and the Poulenc. If I if I'm getting this wrong, please correct me. She conducted the Strauss and then she conducted and sang the Poulenc?
2: That is correct. Yeah. It was amazing.
4: She is a cyborg. How is this yeah. She's incredible.
2: And they're How both seven? difficult. They're both difficult pieces so hard. from a conducting and yes. singing standpoint.
4: I just uh, I mean, if we didn't love her enough, I mean, man, this sealed the deal.
2: Absolutely extraordinary and she was on upper box score everybody oh you yes that, that was her just we, go we, back we a... basically bumped her over the edge I know just you to...
3: just subscribed to the podcast <laughs> to hear this episode which is going to be called Everybody Hates Peter I think um, and you just go back a couple episodes uh, to hear that great interview with Barbara Hennigan, So you know I
4: I was going to say something sassy about the OBS bump, but since I've already stepped in it at least once on this broadcast, <laughs> okay. I'm going to let you guys take the sass from now on.
1: I mean, I look, I'm thrilled that like the Met and AGMA have been able to come to some sort of resolution. Uh, I'm a member of, of AGMA, full disclosure, like this is the first I'm hearing of this. I'm not quite sure why oh, they've yeah. been sort of like telling its members like how thrilled they are that, that they've they've finally made this. Long way to go. I mean, Iyatsi, that's going to be a different ball of wax to do that deal. Matt?
0: I mean, just like the fact that the details aren't being released until they have the vote to ratify it, to me, says that they're aware that this might be a little bit of a precarious situation, and they are crossing every finger and every toe and getting it over the finish line before doing a victory lap. (laughs) Keep
1: an eye on it, as we always do. Let's wrap this show up.
2: Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score.
1: Good call, bad call to take you home wherever you are, however you're listening. Oliver Camacho.
3: Lyric Opera's Ryan Opera Center is making good on its promise to add two more members to the Ryan Opera Center, including, just announced today, I believe, pianist Donald Lee III as the one of the conductor pianist track people. Uh, he's African American, and you could tell from his CV that he emphasizes um, black composers in his repertoire. So they did a good one. So congratulations, Donald Lee III, and also added to the cast of the Rhine Opera Center was bass Rivers Hawkins. Can't wait to hear you,
1: Matt
0: Cummings. In in a preparation for a theaters reopening in the near future, fingers crossed. Um, the LA Times ran the ran, ran an op-ed from their theater critic Charles McNulty asking for everyone to just get rid of intermissions because they're inconvenient and <laughs> silly and and difficult for theater. And this is just so fundamentally not my experience where intermissions give you a chance to like soak in what you've just experienced and pivot. They are dr- they have a dramatic purpose of being an act break. And uh, this here on Upper Box Score is an intermission Stan account. And (laughs) I feel strongly about
2: Clearly someone has never sat through Parsifal. I'm just going to leave it at that.
4: (laughs) Hashtag keep the mish. That,
1: that, that, yeah, that article made absolutely no sense. Weston Williams not even on the show next week. He's clearly already left the building. Goodbye, everyone. Ashley Hardgrave.
4: A little television recommendation for you. Music television recommendation. Uh, If you have access to Peacock or know somebody that has access to an account, I highly, highly recommend the series Girls 5 Eva. Uh, If you were ever a fan of 30 Rock and you're missing it and you want that quickness and that formula, think about that. But a series about a girl group pop group from the late 90s who 20-ish years later, their song gets sampled. They decide they're going to rekindle uh, their love of music and their love of performing as 40-something-year-old women. Girls 5eva on Peacock. It is a delight. Also, if you have
1: access to Peacock and you'd be willing to share your login credentials with me, I could then watch the English Premier League all day Saturday and all day Sunday for free. George, I have a coupon week.
0: from Jewel. I'll, I'll hit you up. Oh,
1: yeah. Okay. <laughs> that'll, that'll work. All right, that's all we got for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. He's at normwaddell.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Opera Box Score. Help us deepen our bench of listeners by liking and sharing our social media posts. Email us your hot takes, Score at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher. Just favorite the show on Apple Podcasts. The views and opinions expressed on Opera Box Score are solely those of the show's creative team. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of the accounts of this show without the express written consent of Opera Box Score is actually fine. Okay, and just leave me alone. Let me live my life, Dad. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Our audio and video editor is Weston Williams. For your co-hosts, Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave. I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you rename your prestigious vocal competition. We're back with an all-new show next week when we give you our picks, our predictions for the recent flurry of 2021, 22 season announcements, plus you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, more bench-clearing brawls. Join us.